You're listening to DraftKings Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, it's funny, if you add an S to it, oddballs turns into a completely different show. Yeah, we talked about this. If, if we had a show about, about grass, it would be sodball. Yeah. Hey, it's Tony Parker, Greg Popovich Day. Today's the day we're going to profile the two cornerstones of the Spurs dynasty that helped them win a zillion titles. Also, we're going to talk to Mo Dakil. He's our friend. We love him. We know him. And, of course, he worked for the Spurs for a couple of seasons there, so he knows Tony and Pop really well. But we'll talk about them right now with this little clip. As two cornerstones of the Spurs dynasty of the 21st century, it is only fitting that Greg Popovich and Tony Parker enter the Hall of Fame together. Popovich was the architect of San Antonio's dominant run of sustained success in the 21st century, starting with the drafting of Hall of Famer Tim Duncan in 1997. It would only take two and a half seasons into his NBA coaching career for Pop to win his first title behind the Twin Towers of Duncan and Hall of Famer David Robinson. And under Pop's charge, the Spurs would go on to evolve with the additions of Hall of Famers Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker, winning three more titles in 2003, 2005, and 2007. In 2011, the Spurs consummated a draft day deal to acquire Kawhi Leonard. Within two years, Pop was back in the finals, losing to Miami in 2013 before finally climbing back to the top of the mountain in 2014, winning his fifth NBA title. A winner of the NBA Coach of the Year Award three times in his career, Pop was named one of the 15 greatest coaches in NBA history during the 75th anniversary celebrations. He solidified his status as an all-time great when he became the winningest coach in NBA history in March of 2022 and sits atop the leaderboard with 1,366 wins and counting. Tony Parker becomes the first Frenchman to be enshrined in the Naismith Hall of Fame. The son of a former professional basketball player, Parker was drafted by the Spurs with the second-to-last pick of the first round of the 2001 NBA Draft. Despite landing in Coach Popovich's doghouse early, it only took five games for Parker to find himself in the starting lineup during his rookie season. A six-time All-Star and four-time All-NBA selection, Parker helped the Spurs win three titles in his first six seasons in the league, including a Finals MVP winning performance in 2007. In international play, Parker led France to a gold medal at the 2013 Eurobasket, taking home the Tournament MVP award. Tony Parker and Greg Popovich, welcome to Basketball Immortality. My friend Mo Dakil, he's a regular contributor to Oddball and 
He was a member of the San Antonio Spurs staff between 2009 and 2011. And as he, as he likes to point out, not the championship years, but two years nonetheless, alongside Greg Popovich and Tony Parker and Mo. I guess let's get started here. And um, one of the things that I've teased you about a lot uh, over the years is the <laughs> fact that in 2010, when the Spurs and the Suns matched up in the playoffs, so Suns team that I worked for, we swept you guys so hard we made you change the way you play basketball. And uh, teasing aside, though, I want to know from behind the scenes, what was the transition like for Greg Popovich to go from a style that had won him multiple championships to a style that was basically going to be the future of the NBA? Well, I think that's it. It was the future of the NBA. Like Tim was getting a little bit older, you know, and, and wasn't. I mean, still dominant, but wasn't the guy you could count on the way you used to in the early runs of the championships, right? And so I think the the way the game had changed, they said, we're going to go into more pick-and-roll style offenses. We're going to go more with Tony Parker. We're going to go more with Manu Ginobili running, running you know, all our pick-and-roll actions, angle, and things like that, and everything that they could possibly get into to try to go go in from there and eventually maybe work their way into the post with with Tim, who was kind of like old faithful at that point. Um, it should be noted that Tim also played still several more years after that, but they did change this because Pop saw where the league was going. And as much as we kind of look at Pop and think he's a guy that's just going to stay set in his ways, he does change, you know, and he he tries to evolve with the game as well and, and be on top of it as much as he can. And I think that's just a great example of it. You guys killed us. There was no question about it. And then we, you know, immediately went back to the drawing board. It wasn't like, okay, well, next year our stuff's going to work. No, it didn't work this year. We got to change. And that's kind of, you know, the way I think Pop sort of looks at things. Mo, how how overt was Pop about those kinds of changes? How overt was he about being like, we need to completely change the way we're doing this and I'm leading the charge? Or did it take a, what what was the dynamic like in terms of how he approached evolving? Yeah, I think Pop's very upfront about it. Everybody saw what happened to us. I mean, we didn't even have that great of a year to begin with. You know, we limped into the playoffs as a six seed. You know, we knock out Dallas, you know, in a five-game series. And then we go to Phoenix, who Phoenix, I I mean, you guys were the two seed that year, right? We were the two. You were the two because the Dallas was, was, we were the six seed. So, you know, we go into that. And and I think the writing was just on the board. But more importantly, then Pop goes and talks with his guys, you know, not just his assistant coaches. I'm sure there were conversations with Tim. I wasn't privy to any of that, Charlotte. But like, you know, there's conversations <laughs> with that. It's sort of, you know, hey, this is what we got to start doing. And Tim, who wants to win, is ult- has always been kind of the team player, was in with that. You can't you can't do those types of things. And, and start to kind of drift away from the, the su- superstar player that you have without his buy-in first. And I think that's the first thing Pop had to do. And I think from there, then we started to realize, hey, we got we got the okay, let's go. We got to start changing things. When you look at Greg Popovich uh, and his coaching tree, the guys that came out from under him, uh, to quote the great Larry Brown, who said this about himself, you don't have a coaching tree as a forest. Right. And then I think Greg Popovich, who is under Larry Brown's tree and in Larry <laughs> right. Brown's forest, has a forest of his own. Uh, so many guys have come out of there, you know, head coaches, Jacques Vaughn, 
Brett Brown, but Mike Buttonholzer, uh, James Borrego. The list goes Monty Williams. The list goes on. Steve Kerr, you could say as well. During your time, you saw a couple of those names uh, leave and become head coaches in their own right. What does Pop do to nurture and kind of develop guys into head coaches? Well, one, I think he empowers them. You know, there's a lot of coaching staffs that every coaching staffs ran differently. Everybody does things differently. I'm sure you have a different experience and and than than for me, but he fully empowers these guys into getting involved and making sure they're on top of it and well aware of all the things that go into it. And I think the other part of it too, and I mean, it's winning, right? This is the organization that wins. So where do teams when they need a new coach, they they go they pull from the team that's winning. When I was with the Clippers, we weren't winning. Nobody was pulling any of our assistant coaches. And I think that's kind of one of the, the things when we talk about coaching trees, part of it is just a success that they have, you know, is is something that other teams want to go pull. And it goes beyond just the coaching staff. I mean, the number of front office guys, like Sam Presti was a Spurs guy. You know, like you have a lot of guys that end up getting pulled all over the place. Sean Marks, another front office guy, you know, coming from the San Antonio system. I think it's just they they empower these guys and prepare everybody to get to the next step. You know, and I think that's the important aspect that you're looking for. And, and Pop just says, like, these are the things you got to learn to do. And and that's everything that happens along those those trends. And it's, I mean, young coaches. I mean, Will Hardy is a pop, pop guy. You know, Ime Udoka came from Pop. Like, there's a whole lot of different guys that we're seeing and it's just a continuing trend that's I mean lasted this long I'm kind of shocked Mo you've told us some amazing stories about pop on and off air and I I think you spoke a little bit about this one of the times you came on um but he's sort of he's known for way more than his basketball brilliance pop is like, like a legendary figure in the basketball world and everyone feels some type of way about him what was knowing him on a personal level like Oh, it was awesome because it was something, you know, when you get to San Antonio, like I didn't know anything about him beyond what we know publicly. Right. And my perception of him versus, you know, the reality was so drastically different, you know, and I think that's kind of the 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 common thing with that. And I think, you know, you you find like all these little things where he's just so excited to to share you know i i went to his house to drop something off and he would he wanted to show me his antique book collection charlotte like you being a rares book dealer is, <laughs> is something that's you know like would, yes. would, would would sing to you but this is you know uh brett brown and i are in the olympics in london and he's taking us out to dinner and he's like giddy as a kid because he got to go to an antique bookstore and bought a whole bunch of first editions <laughs> and is listing them off. I don't remember any of them, unfortunately, because I was too busy eating. Um, but there was a whole level of like, that's the stuff he loves. You know, it's we know about the wine and, and you know, he loves great dinners and things like that. But it's all those kinds of small stuff with him. And he kind of just showed me, too, like you don't have to be just all basketball to be a great head coach, you know, and I think everybody's different in how they do things. But I think that's the stuff like I take away from him in that sense of like, you can be a well-rounded individual as well as be a great NBA head coach. What was it about Tony Parker? You ever talked to him about how he transitioned from scared French kid to, you know, uh, you know, basically finals MVP caliber player. Part of it for Tony is, you know, he came in, literally used the word kid, like he came in as a kid at 19, you know, and this is one of those things where it was still really challenging in that regard. And Pop 
was extremely hard on him. Like he had to find, you know, how to handle that stuff and, and the toughness that comes with it, you know, and, and, and sort of hardening with that and dealing with all those, those instances, you know, like you said, getting benched and things like that as a young guy, I probably never fully had those conversations with him, but knowing him and seeing the way he operates, there was just a level of confidence. So even at the end, even when he was shaking a little bit of like, I can do this. And I think that's part of it is, you know, the, he, listen, he was there working constantly with Chip England, working on his shot and things like that. And that's a guy that's going to try to pump you up and fill you with confidence and get you excited. Everybody around him was working for with him to to help him get to that level. And I think once he kind of matured a little bit more, you really start to see it blossom. And then to the point where, like you said, eventually they start turning the team over to him, you know, and that's something we didn't envision early on in his career. There are times where you weren't sure if, you know, how much longer him and pop could last as a relationship. And they lasted 15 years. Like it's pretty impressive in that sense. And I think it's just a level of, the, the maturation process is sort of what helped him come along with all of that stuff. And then, of course, just the success. The team begins to roll and he begins to be a, a centerpiece of it. How do you think that people in San Antonio think of Tony Parker? Oh, they love him. I mean, you know, it's it's look, he brought them championships, you know, the finals MVP. I mean, it was all of those things. There were always stuff out there. There was always things every now and then. Oh, you know, are the Spurs going to turn Tony Parker into Jason Kidd? You know, during that finals run, even, you know, there was stuff like that. You know, there's always small little snippets around there and it never affected him. But I think the Spurs family and I mean, the community itself loves him. He's part of that big three, you know, and I think that's one of those things there. And now now that they got another French kid in Victor Webb and Yama, I think they're going to see Tony around a little bit more. And I think they're, again, just going to continue to embrace him. You know, Mo, one of the things I used to do in Phoenix was we'd create these teaching tapes uh, based off of, you know, the best of them, how they did it. So we had a navigating screens teaching tape that was based off of Reggie Miller and Rip Hamilton. We had a guard post-up teaching tape that was based off of Sam Cassell and, uh, and Gary Payton. And we had a teardrop teaching tape that was based a lot on Tony Parker. This is a guy who isn't that much taller than me and doesn't probably weigh that much more than I do now. Uh, but he had a couple of seasons where he led the league in points in the paint, which is usually the domain of bigs. W- what was it behind the scenes that you saw him work at? Was that something with him and Chip England? Was that Tony? Was that God-given gift? And is it is it in fact teachable, do you think, to other players? It's teachable to a, a, an extent, but I don't know if you could ever be as accurate as Tony was without it being somewhat of a natural ability as well, right? Like the way just he, his consistency with it and 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 being able to just dominate, like you said, as soon as he got in the paint and if that floater got up, it was in. You didn't, it, it, it didn't matter. If he got the floater off, it went in. And I think it was just the natural ability, the constant repeat, repeat, repeat. Let's do this rep over, over and over again. The repetitions nonstop of the skill and to truly master it, I think are the things that went into it. And I think, you know, Chip working with him on it nonstop. This is part of their their program. And you know, as well as I do, everybody has the five minute warm-ups where they do the floaters and the, you know, the next shot, the next shot, the next shot. And the amount of time they would stand spend on just floaters was really shocking. But now you understand why, because it truly was his bag. You made a teaching tape off of it. Like that's how good he was out of it. You mentioned all the, you know, 
floaters and practicing and everything. What's something that you think might surprise people, you know, behind closed doors that you got to see about Tony besides his worth work ethic that you think might uh, might be interesting? I mean, really just friendly dude, you know, wants to be around and, hang, you know, and, 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 and talk and, and, and hang out and, and check on everybody in general. And then, you know, that was his kind of spiel. You know, he had the workout time after practice. You know, the rookies generally have to start before practice, have to get there early. The vets get to do it after practice. He would do that. He'd go hang for a minute and then boom. He did his job and he was out. And I think those are the kind of things. But he was always checking on everybody. You good? You good? You good? Like, that's the stuff from Tony I kind of remember. Mo, when you think about both of those guys, Pop and Tony, the most underrated thing about each of them, not the thing that nobody knows about, but the thing about them you think, man, people don't appreciate how good he was at blank. With Tony, I don't think people appreciate just how tough he was. And it may it's it's easy to not see. I, I, I talked to it about it a little bit, but just the ability to, to take the wrath of pop, you know, which can be tough, you know, and, and, and any coach for that matter. You know, coaches can be really hard, but to take that stuff and continue to push on and and thrive ultimately through it, that there's a level of toughness that comes to it that probably doesn't show that much on the court. With pop. I think it's just the way he went about treating all the players essentially the same. You don't treat every player the same. Everybody has, there's a hierarchy, right? You know, Tim can get away with a little bit more than say Matt Bonner, but Matt Bonner never felt that way. And, it, and, and the thing with pop, it's the exact it's, it's after he comes down on a guy in film session or whatnot, you know, it's, I put it in you know, putting putting a uh, putting his arms around the the uh, uh, the guy afterwards when they're walking out of film session, you know, and making sure the guy knows, hey, it wasn't personal. You know, it's the Godfather It's business, not personal. And Pop kind of reeling them back in. I think Pop's ability to kind of stay attached to his guys is something that a lot of people don't know, don't understand how to do even. His name is Mo Dakil. He's a frequent contributor here on Oddball. Mo, thanks a lot. And I guess I won't see you in Springfield from the sounds of it. You're just too lazy to make the trip, huh? Yeah, no, way, way too far. If it was, I, I'll be honest with you. Even if it was in L.A., I probably wouldn't have gone. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Mo. Thank you. Have you ever wondered if Chet Holmgren might be a descendant of Abraham Lincoln? Or if a UFC fighter could beat an alien in a fight, you might have not, and that's okay. But Shea Serrano and Jason Concepcion from the Six Trophies podcast have. If you love basketball, and more importantly, if you love fun, you've got to listen to Six Trophies, where Shea and Jason serve up the biggest moments from around the NBA with their brand of unbridled joy, banter, and pop culture side quests. Each week, they hand out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Stuff like the Denzel Washington in Training Day trophy, given out to the player or team having the best week around the NBA. Or the Lauren Hill you might win some dot dot dot, but you just lost one trophy. For the team or player that just can't get it together. Plus a bunch more trophies for all the good, bad, or just plain head-scratching moments around the NBA. This playoff season, you'll want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Welcome back. It's time to play another edition of Charlotte's favorite game. Hype me up. 
Yep. Work in progress. All right, this is the game where uh, we read a name off the card, and then the other person has to hype up the name or the statement being made on the card. Does yes. that make sense? Or the headline, or the whatever. Team, whatever you got. I, I just learned about this game earlier, so. Uh, I'll start with you. Yes. I don't know why I had an accent there. <laughs> I'll start with you. You. Uh, it's because we've been doing all this righteous gemstone talk. Uh, Donovan Mitchell. Mm-hmm. You have to hype up Donovan Mitchell. Donovan. Donovan. You are very, very strong. Um, I'm impressed by your conditioning. You can rely on that a lot with the Cavs. Also, think about it. You need to be the next great thing that has happened to Cleveland. Because after LeBron, they could use it. Not, not, nothing good. I mean, LeBron, I, I've been there multiple right? times. It's terrible. Yeah. yeah, there's a weird underground mall with a Starbucks. But you should go there and love it because that is a city that will love you forever. If you can, Eastern Conference Finals. That would be great. Seems like an easy bar. Good. Right. I like it. Yeah. I, even though I don't know. It's hard to. I don't. Cleveland. I'm just saying, like, your hype up speech would have been a lot better a year ago, the way you were talking. I mean, he's I been know. in Cleveland for a year, so. I know. Tell him he's going to like it. Uh, I didn't. Well. That's all right. All right. Well, so we'll get, we'll get better. We'll get better as time goes okay, on. Okay, are you ready? Right. <laughs> What's the name? What's the name you got for me? Uh, Chicago Bulls. Oh, the Chicago Bulls, the team, right? Yes. Got it. This one's easy. Okay. Hey, Chicago. Um, Lonzo Ball not doing so well. I know. It hurts me too. But guess what? You got that injury exception from the disabled exception. So at least there's some money that you can spend to make the 14th worst team in the conference become like the 12th worst team in the conference. Uh, you, you went out and you signed uh, Javon Carter. And, and, yes. and Tory Craig, the, both of those guys are really, really good at helping teams that have a lot of talent that are close to competing in the championship become contenders. I don't know how well they'll do helping a team that's going to be out of the play-in picture, but anything's possible. Chicago, our pizzas aren't that bad. Charlotte, are you ready for the yes. next headline? I sure am. Shaq says he has no problem being left off of Dr. J's top 10 all-time list. If you remember, Dr. J came out with the top 10 list of all players of all time, and none of them were active players, and everyone was an uproar. So Shaq says he has no problem being left off that list. Charlotte, you got to hype up Shaq. Yeah, Shaq, I think you're right. Why would you want to be on that list when you know LeBron wasn't on that list, Steph wasn't on that list? So you could argue that that list was sort of not a full, complete list. And being on it, in fact, might have meant that you didn't deserve to be on it. So I think you just galaxy-brained yourself with my help into being one of the best players of all time, which (laughs) you already were. There's some galaxy-braining happening, all right. Are you ready? Yeah. Boston Celtics giving away the pick that became Desmond Bain in order to re-sign Al Horford. Bear with me here. Okay, first of all, hello, Boston. Proof is in the pudding. Al Horford's been to the finals. Desmond Bain been to the finals? No. Al Horford's been to the conference finals. Has Desmond Bain been to the conference finals? No. Uh, more, more to the point, hey, uh, Desmond Bain, how much are you going to get paid uh, once your rookie scale is up? What's that? 
Max to be nowhere near an all-star caliber player? Uh, would you rather be paying all that money to Desmond Bain, Boston? Or would you rather pay the dependable Al Horford, who has been an all-star multiple times? Check the resume. Check the results. Check everything. You check it out. You did all right, Boston. Don't worry about it. Wow, that, can we clip that soundbite? I might never hear that again. I may not believe that again. <laughs> uh, last one for you, Charlotte. Jimmy Butler just found out that Damian Lillard is coming to the Heat. I must stress to the entire nation. <laughs> this hasn't happened yet. This is merely a hypothetical, and now Charlotte's got to hype him up. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy, amazing. Uh, you can maybe make it to the finals and actually win instead of just Jeez. making it to the finals. Uh I think you and Dame will have a have a lovely time together. Um, I think that I mean, are you going to miss Tyler that much? I'm hypothetically in this hypothetical situation. I'm assuming he is no longer on the Heat. So this is only good for you, Jimmy. Even if you're going to feel a little bit like second banana, I don't actually think you will care that much if you've got a ring to show for it. If you're keeping track at home, Charlotte neither knows the meaning of hypothetical or hype. Apparently, maybe it's just H words. <laughs> Charlotte, what's the last card? This is hard. Hit me. Jordan Clarkson stays in Utah for the remainder of his career. This is also a hypothetical. Oh, this is, uh, I got this one. Hey, JC, it's your boy. Look, Salt Lake City, Utah, beautiful, great place to raise a family, nice and clean. The downtown is in a grid. Every street is 200th Street for some reason. It's a 200 corner of 200 and 200. I don't know how to get around there, but it doesn't matter. That means if anyone who's not from Utah is trying to get you, all you got to do is take them downtown and run around in circles and they're going to get lost. It's real easy. Don't stay at that Sheridan downtown, by the way. It was built in the 70s and hasn't been updated at all. I can attest to it. I think there was black mold in my room. I was slowly dying during All-Star break. But all of this is to say, Jordan, Utah loves you, dude. Everywhere I went in Salt Lake City, people were wearing your jerseys, the little kids wearing the tattoo sleeves and had the fake hair wigs and all that stuff, man. There is nothing better than being loved by your market because you know what? You'll never have to buy a drink in that town again. Oh, then wait. again, you'll never be able to buy a drink in that town because they have all these weird liquor laws. What's wrong with you, Salt Lake City? How dare you want to host an all-star weekend? You can't even get a double? I can't even order a double? I got to do some weird loophole thing that Mike Ryan of the Levitar Show taught me where you got to get a beer and a shot and somehow that counts as one drink? Did you know this about, about uh, Salt Lake City, Charlotte? Yes, because I've heard this from you before. How did you guys let him do this one again? I'm just saying, Jordan, look, there's a lot worse things that could happen. Like, you could be... You could be me having to stay my whole rest of my life in Utah. That would be awful. But for you, for you, baby, A+. plus. You got it made. That's how you hype someone up. All right. Well, thanks for playing. <sighs> yeah. Why are you, th- you They didn't play. First of all, why are you thanking them? Second of all, they didn't even play the game. We played. You, you've been watching Hype Me Up. Yeah. That's all the oddball we have for you today. Today, today. 